All right, Soma, how are you guys doing? Awesome. You know, it's such a huge blessing that Daylight Savings was on Halloween. I don't know, I mean, I enjoyed being able to sleep in after Halloween. Anyway, so a little fact about me. Growing up, I was a huge video game sort of guy, sort of person, really loved video games. Um, but the thing was, and this is still true of me, video games stressed me out so much. It's honestly why I don't play them now, because it's too stressful for me. Um, they were fun, but they were stressful. I remember, and my mom could confirm this, that when I would play video games, I would get so stressed out that I would get a fever. Like... It sounds really weird, but I'd be standing there playing, like, Donkey Kong, and, like, I would just start sweating, and, like, my heart rate would start rising, and the worst level, probably the most fun level, but the most stressful level was the minecart level. I've um, got a picture of that. So that thing, it's like you're trying to jump and not fall into the abyss. And um, so I'd reach the gap, right, and I, and I would... J- hit the jump button, and I don't know if you guys ever did this, but I was the kind of person who, like, when you hit the jump button, you had to, like, jump as well, because somehow that, like, actually made you jump higher, Um, but for some reason, I'd miss the jump, and, like, obviously, I didn't, like, actually jump high enough myself, so that's why I missed it, and I would just flip out. I would get so worked up uh, that my mom would force me to take a break, not to calm down, but to cool down, literally. I was like a bad used car that would like overheat um, when it got worked too hard. So um, the fact that I got so stressed out was why I loved player's guides. Um, Player's guides, strategy guides, whatever you guys called them. They're books that that would tell you where the traps were, where all the coins were, uh, the bad guys to avoid, all that sort of stuff. And they were so helpful to playing that I would spend hours reading these player's guides, trying to figure out, plan how to beat these games. And sometimes there were games I didn't even have, but I knew I was going to get them one day. So I would read up and like plan ahead of time to make sure I was good when I actually got it. Um, and they were so useful, right, to avoid all the bad stuff. and Like the bad guys, the traps, the holes, all that sort of stuff. Um, now, what if there were player guides to life, right? Like how to how to ace that job interview, how to get a date, how to not fall into the trap of buying a really crappy used car. That would be awesome, right? And what if there, were, there was part of the player's guide told you how to avoid sin? Like those times when you walk into it and like, oh man, I should have known that was coming. I fell into sin. Because sin can sometimes feel like a trap. Sin can sometimes also feel like this endless sort of cycle that we get stuck in. Like we know we're not supposed to do it, right? But, but we get ourselves into the cycle thinking like, no, like I, I shouldn't do this. And then you do. And then you resolve, okay, I'm not going to do this again. Like I'm, I'm going to be really hard on it. Like I'm not going to do it. And then you do. And it's this ongoing, endless sort of cycle. It could be with sexual sin, right? It could be with people-pleasing. It could be fear of man. It could be lying. Uh, whatever it is, or just anger against your family. Anything it is, you can fall into this cycle where you know you're not supposed to do it, but somehow you always end up doing it. It's like, man, like I wish there was actually a way out of this cycle. So what I want to do tonight is I sort of want to give you, I guess, like the player's guide 
of how to avoid sin, how to be free from sin in your life, uh, that's the plan. That's what we're going to be doing tonight. So for those of you guys who are new, my name is Chris Wozniki, and I'm on staff here uh, at SOMA, and you guys can go ahead and call me Woz if you're new, um, or if you're not new, you can call me Woz too. Um, Wazzy Bear, yeah. Uh, the hashtag for our baby is going to be Wazzy Baby, because people used to call me that in high school. Um, anyway, you call me Wazzy Baby in high school, yeah, because I was a gangster like that. Anyway, so uh, in our first series, uh, so this is our second series in a series of series in Romans. Uh, the first series, we saw how the gospel basically sets us free from the punishment that we deserve because of our sin. In the second part of this, or the second series in Romans, we're looking at how the gospel sets us free from the power of sin and death. And we kicked that off last week before the hoedown throwdown. So if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. When you're there, can I get a word? <laughs> Yeah, you guys don't have it memorized? Okay. Um, Let me go ahead and pray before we start. I'm not going to lie, I can't get out of my mind uh, at the hoedown throwdown when Sienna pretended to be me and prayed for her, like, costume. I I can't pray without thinking of that. Um, (laughs) Lord, um... God, we just uh, give you thanks for this time, Lord, um, that we get to open up your word and we get to hear what you have to say to us. God, you you speak to us just so personally, Lord. um, You know where we're at in life, God. You know our struggles. You know our sins. You know our hang-ups, Lord. uh, And you still love us, God. and, And you actually tell us how to deal with those things, Lord. So I pray that tonight that we'd have our ears and our, uh, and our mind and our hearts just alert uh, to what it is that you have to say to us. God, um, I pray against any distraction, against any hard-heartedness. Lord, um, may you just soften our hearts and speak to us through your spirit and may Jesus just be lifted up because of this. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So in our first series, uh, Religion Kills, we saw how works or, or performance, or we called it religion, how none of that stuff contributes to your salvation, right? Nothing you can do or don't do uh, can make you right with God, right? In a lot of people's mind, that sort of makes grace really cheap, right? If it's all by grace, and if it's not by anything you do, it's not by your works, then that means that you can do whatever the heck you want, right? At least that's what it seems like. Doesn't that mean that I can like sin up a storm and still be good with God? And that's sort of the objection that Paul starts to deal with here. Uh, So starting at verse one, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? See, the gospel says that we don't earn our salvation by works, right? It comes apart from works. So then the question is, why would I ever do works? Why would I ever have to do anything good? Shouldn't I just keep on sinning? And Paul's answer to that question is, heck no. He he says, by no means. That's not 
that's just a ridiculous way of thinking. You know, one of my favorite things on the internet, and I've shown you guys a lot of my favorite things on the internet, which I guess shows you what I do with my time, um, are pictures of dogs doing people things. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Pictures of dogs doing people things. Absolutely just wrecks me every time. I die of cuteness. Uh, Golden retrievers are really good at doing people things. They're just so clueless, those stupid golden retrievers. They don't know how to do anything, right? Don't know how to take pictures. Don't know how to drive tractors. Anyway, um, also, pugs are pretty good at doing people stuff. That emo pug. The struggle's real, right? What if he never finds out? Who's a good boy? He'll never know. Um, And then this last one, he's not really doing like a person stuff, but it's like one of my favorite memes. (laughs) Yeah, it's so cute. So people, dogs doing people stuff. I love it. But what if there are pictures on the internet of people doing dog stuff? It probably is, and you shouldn't look that up. Um, That would not be cute, right? Like, if you're a person and not a dog and you're doing dog things, it's like, what are you even doing? Like, if you're a human being and you're acting like a dog, not to, like, be funny, but, like, because you're serious, that would be absolutely ridiculous, right? And that's sort of what Paul is saying here, right? If you're a Christian, it's ridiculous to live as something that you're not, right? Let me give you a better analogy. So let's just imagine that... um before you were a Christian, you were like a caterpillar. Like you're analogous to a caterpillar. And when you became a Christian, you're a butterfly, right? And now if you're a butterfly and you act like a caterpillar, that wouldn't make sense, right? If you're trying to fit back into your cocoon or you're rolling around in the dirt like a caterpillar does or you're eating, I don't know, whatever caterpillars eat, like grass, creamed corn, um, I don't know, whatever, whatever caterpillars eat, um, The fact is you're not a stupid caterpillar, right? You're a butterfly with gorgeous wings, right? You have the ability to fly. Why are you rolling around in the dirt like a caterpillar? It's ridiculous. And that's what Paul is saying here. You died to sin, like you already died to sin. How can you live in it? You can't actually go back, right? But that's exactly the way you're living when you're living in sin. You're not really being what you are and who you are. And I love just the way that that Pastor Tim Keller, he puts this. It's a great quote, and it's in your note sheets. And it's also up here. He says, when a Christian sins, they're acting against their identity. Therefore, if I sin, it's because I do not realize who I am. So good. Come on. Um, I wish I could do like the snappy thing. There you go. Thanks, Matt. All right. Uh, So here's what Paul's saying. As a Christian you can no longer keep living in sin. And that doesn't mean that you'll never sin, right? That doesn't mean that you'll never sin. But here's what it means to live in sin. It means that you tolerate it or that you enjoy it, right? See, there was a period in my life where I just straight up just stepped away from the Lord and I was doing my own thing. Um, And during that period of time, I could do whatever the heck I wanted, But the fact is that even though I enjoyed those things, I never really fully enjoyed any of that. In the back of my mind, I always felt like, man, like, this isn't you, right? This is not who you are. It's like, I could do it, have fun, but I would never actually, like, enjoy 
that without the Lord speaking in the back of my mind. Right? The second thing that it means is that you're not making any progress. Right? That you never see any change or growth. And the fact though thing the fact is though that as a Christian growth can be slow. Right? It's not like you're always like having these huge moments of growth in your life. There are seasons of drought, but there's never a complete, just full-on lack of growth. So just to put it quite simply, to live in sin means that you're being dominated by it. Right? And he says that you can no longer be dominated by sin. But a lot of times I think that it feels like we're dominated by sin. Like, like, like we can't escape sin's grip. Like we want a way out. Like we, we really want the way out, but for some reason we feel like we can't get out. So here's the problem. If you guys are taking notes, here's the problem. Sin has a powerful grip on us. Sin has a powerful grip on us. Or so it seems. So that's the problem. That's how sin feels. Right? Now let me give you a solution. Or let Paul... Let the Lord, through Paul, through me, give you the solution. Um, If you want to escape the power of sin, the first thing you need to do is you need to know. You need to know. So what do you need to know? Verses 3 to 10, Paul tells us. (coughs) He says, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So what is it that we're supposed to know? We're supposed to know that we were baptized into Jesus Christ and into his death and resurrection. Why is that so important? That we were baptized into Jesus Christ, into his death and his resurrection. To kind of get why that's so important, we kind of have to go back a few weeks ago when we talked about Adam and we talked about Christ and we sort of talked about how there are only two kinds of people in this world. There are those who are in Adam and there are those who are in Christ. And we talked about this idea that we called corporate responsibility, that whatever is true of them as your representative is also true of you. Right? And how that, we talked about how that went so much against our individualistic thinking, which is like, okay, I make the choices, I make my destiny, uh, I'm guilty or I'm not guilty, it's all based upon me. But we saw that Paul says that as your representative, whatever is true of Adam is true of you, whatever is true of Christ is true of you. If you're an Adam and Adam's your representative, Everything that was true of him, his guilt, his sin, his death, it's all yours. But if you're in Christ, if you've put your faith in him, when you become a Christian, then everything about Jesus is true of you. His life, 
his birth, his death, his resurrection, his holiness, God the Father's favor towards him. All that is true of you if you're in Christ. And the sign that you're in Christ, as Paul is saying right here, uh, the sign that you've made the switch from being in Adam to now being in Christ is baptism. Right? Baptism, it doesn't save you. It's not a necessary work in order to be saved. Baptism is a public proclamation of an internal reality. So when you, when you get baptized, what you're saying in front of the entire world is that everything that was true of Jesus is now true of you. Right? The fact that Christ died to sin is now true of you. Christ died to sin, you died to sin. And that's so important because when we were in Adam, you owe death a penalty. That's what Paul's saying here. You see, sin and death are sort of like a mob boss, right? Uh, and sort of, you, I can imagine them in like an Italian accent being like, hey, I heard you sin, or whatever. <laughs> that's very racist. Um, it's like, hey, like, hey, I heard you owe me. Like you sinned, you owe me, right? Here are your options. Either you're gonna pay, you're gonna pay me what you're owed, or I'm gonna, you're gonna sleep with the fishes, okay? Like those are, those are the two options. And it's like, man, like I can't pay, I can't pay it back. Like I have this huge debt and sin or like the mob boss is like, okay, well, since you can't pay it off, the second option, death. If you die, you'll be debt free, right? Which is, works the same way now with credit cards. If you die, you're debt free. You don't have to worry about paying your credit card off anymore. Um, so spend it all up and then um, right before you die. <laughs> Um, anyway, so, so if you die, you'll be free from your debt, right? So Christ died to pay off that debt, right? He ransomed us from our sin. And because of Christ, because he died, right? And because we're united to him, remember corporate responsibility, we died also. Which means that because he died, we've been set free from the debt that we owe. But Christ didn't just die, right? Christ actually rose from the grave three days later, right? And because Christ was raised, we were raised too. And because Jesus conquered sin and death, and because what's true of us, true of him is true of us, that means that we also conquered sin and death. So sin and death aren't Christ's master. So that means sin and death are not your master either. See, what you need to know in order to conquer sin is that because you are united to Christ, you've died to sin and you've conquered it. It might not feel like that, but that's what's true of you. Let's keep reading verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here's the second thing you need to do. You need to count. Paul says, count yourself. Some other translations say reckon. The picture here is like, I don't know, you like go to the pantry or something and you take a stock of what you have. You're like, okay, I got plenty of fruit snacks. I got lots of boxes of mac and cheese, a bunch of, uh, I don't know, cans of like creamed corn and other vegetables like that. And um, it's like, okay, I got all this stuff. I don't actually need to buy any more of this stuff. Okay, I'm missing Pop-Tarts. Got to buy those Pop-Tarts, whatever. So you take count. You take, you reckon what you have, all right? So, so it's a matter of looking what's already there, 
It's a matter of knowing what's already true. And for us, with this truth that we're united to Christ, it's a matter of seeing what's already true and reminding ourselves of that. And getting that truth down deep into our hearts. Because the fact is that even if it's true, you might not actually be living like that's true. Imagine, uh, for instance, that you were a slave living in the antebellum south. Okay, um, and you're owned by a terrible master who, who would beat you, they would mistreat you, um, they would talk down to you, they would work you to the bone, they wouldn't feed you. Just a terrible master who used you and just abused you. All right, so one day, another master, he comes along and he says that I'm going to buy you from your evil master. And this new master says that he's good and that he'll never treat you like the old master. And this master gives you a new room in, in their house and they actually feed you well. And instead of just working you to the bone, they actually give you responsibility over everything that they own. And, and you start to think, okay, like this is probably too good to be true. It feels like a setup. Like I can't trust this new master because my master, my old master, whenever I trusted him, it would always end up badly. Right? So you can't help but think, like, why is this master being so nice to me? There has to be a catch. So the new master tells you, like, there's no catch. Like, in fact, there's no catch. And I've actually filed papers in order to adopt you as my own son or my own daughter. And those, that adoption will be completed soon. And he says, you'll no longer live as my slave, but you'll actually be my son or my daughter. So you slowly start to realize, okay, like I don't have to live like a slave. I'm now a son or daughter. I'm now free. But as you go out and about in town, going about um, uh, your, your new adoptive father's responsibilities, let's say you run into your old master, right? And your old master, he just starts to yell at you and curse at you. And he's like, get your butt over here and pick up my bags and carry my things and do what I say or else I'm going to beat you, right? And, and sort of that's so been ingrained into your mind, right? Your old master's voice and his power and the fact that he beat you was so ingrained into your mind that you can't help but listen to what he says, right? You'll start to walk over there to pick up the bags and do whatever they tell you. And that's what our sin is like. Right? Sin is so ingrained into us from when we were born into Adam, when we were slaves to sin, when we were dead. It's so ingrained into us that when we hear sin's voice calling, even though we're free, we still walk over to it right? and we obey it. Or at the very least, we're tempted to obey it. But the truth is that you don't actually have to. Sin isn't actually your master. Right? Sin can't make you do anything. Sin can yell at you all day long and tell you what to do, but you're not sin's slave. Right? So you don't have to listen to it. I mean, you can still live like you are its slave, but you don't have to. Just to use a, another quote from another preacher, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, an old, dead English preacher. Um, here's what he says. He says, you can still be a slave experientially, even when you're no longer a slave legally. Whatever you may feel, whatever your experience may be, God tells us here in this passage, through his word, that if we're in Christ, we're no longer in Adam. We are no longer under the reign and rule of sin. And if I fall into sin, as I do, 
It's simply because I do not realize who I am, realize it, reckon it. In other words, when you're frustrated by your desire to sin and your desire to give into that, you just need to realize the truth. Right? You need to realize the gospel because the gospel is not just the power to save you, right? It's the power for life now. The gospel is not just how you get in, right? The gospel is also what sustains you throughout. It's not just for the beginning of your Christian life, but it's for your entire life that you need to remember that truth. And applying those gospel truths is what you need to do. You need to keep reckoning it. You need to keep counting it, right? When you're faced with sin, you need to remember the truth that you were bought with a price, right? That Jesus spilt his blood in order to purchase your freedom and free you from the dominion of sin, right? You need to remember that you were delivered from sin, right? That you're free. You need to remember that Christ has saved you for the sake of holiness, right? He saved you to set you apart, not so that you could keep on living in sin, but that so you would live in holiness that's pleasing to him. So whatever it takes, you need to ingrain those gospel truths deep down into your heart. That's what it means to count this is true. That's what it means to reckon it. If it means memorizing scripture, then go ahead and do that. If it means you need to be in God's word early every morning, then you need to do that. If it means you need to be listening to music that just is full of truth, then do that. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes to sink the gospel deep down into your heart, you need to do that. But it doesn't just end like with yourself, right? It's also about helping your brothers and sisters apply that truth to their own heart. You know, in life group, speak that truth into one another. Take it seriously. When someone confesses their sin, take it seriously. Because Christ took it seriously enough to die for it. And you know, when someone confesses their sin or asks for accountability in life group, don't just be like, oh no, like, it's cool, like, Lord forgives that, like, just, like, move on, just don't do it again. Like, that's not actually helping anybody when you say that. You need to tell them that Christ died for that. Because we we need to remember that Christ actually died for those sins that we committed. You need to tell them that you don't need to do that. Right? Get real with them. Tell them that's not who they actually are. Like, that, that sin that you, you keep falling into, that sin that you live habitually with, that's not who you actually are. You need to remind them that, of what Christ did, right? That Christ conquered sin so that you can conquer sin also. See, that's what community's for. Community's meant to spur us on. And that's why we do life group. And that's why we meet with other believers because we need people to tell us these truths. Because we can tell ourselves these truths all day long, but for some reason, it's just more powerful when somebody else tells us those things, right? So we need to help one another reckon that truth. Let's keep reading, verse 12. Verse 12 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Here's the third thing. Third thing you need to do to conquer sin is you need to offer. Paul talks about offering twice in this passage. First is negative. He says, do not offer. Don't offer. Right? Don't offer yourselves over to sin. 
In other words, don't put yourselves in situations where you're going to let sin have control. Right? Don't offer your body parts as tools, as instruments for sin. And that means, for instance, don't give your eyes over to lust, whether it's sexually or, or otherwise. Right? If your heart is prone to jealousy about possessions that other people have and materialism, you don't need to go window shopping. Don't like open up your eyes to that sort of stuff. Right? If you struggle with idolatry related to your image, like there are no need, there's no need to, to read magazines or follow Instagram accounts that are just going to hurt your own self-image. Right? If you struggle with sexual lust, again, just to use another Instagram example, don't follow semi-shady Instagram accounts. Right? To do those things is to give your eyes over to sin. And the fact is, it might not be sin yet, Right? Those things might not actually be sin. But when you're doing that, if you're giving yourself over to sin, you're saying, hey, sin, like I'm here. Like if you want to take advantage of me, like go ahead. I'm not going to stop you. That's what you're saying to sin when you're offering yourself up to it. And the same thing is true with the rest of your body, right? With your mouth. Like if you deal with anger, right? Or, or gossip or putting people down, you need to not give yourself over to that. Right? Don't let your mouth be an ins- instrument of sin. Just shut up. Right? Just put safeguards on it. Don't speak. Some of you guys just need to not speak. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> or it's your hands or your feet, whatever. Whatever it might be, don't give yourself over to things that will eventually lead to sin. Right? And Paul also puts a, a, a positive spin on it too. He says, offer yourselves over to God. Right? The tense that he uses here is an aorist tense, A-O-R-I-S-T. And it's a tense of something that's already been completed in the past, but its effects carry on into the future or into the present. And I know it's grammar lesson, whatever, but it's important. And he says, offer yourselves over to God. It's a one-time thing that was done in the past, but keeps on happening now. Right? See, all of us are faced with a time in our life where we have to decide, are we going to surrender to God? Are we going to give ourselves over to him? It's that one-time act of surrender where we bow our knee to Jesus and we say, Jesus, you are Lord. And when we do that, that one-time act, we are forever his. We will forever belong to him. But even though it's this one-time act, that's now true of you for the rest of your life. The Christian life is still an act of continually and daily surrendering to him, right? Surrender is a daily choice. When you look at your sin, you have to make that choice and think, I don't actually belong to sin. I belong to Jesus. And I'm going to live as though that's true. I don't belong to death. So I'm going to live as though I've actually been brought from death into life. I'm going to live as though what Christ did is actually true of me. Because that's reality. Okay? So there you have it. Just simple as that. To conquer sin, you just need to know, you need to count, you need to offer. Right? It's really simple, but it's not easy. Right? It's, it's simple, like we get it, but it's not easy. And if you do these three things, or three things, It doesn't mean that you'll never sin, obviously. It doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle with habitual sins because you still might, right? It means that you will not go on living in the realm of sin.
being dominated by it. It means that you will not continue to deliberately sin without having a distaste for it, right? Or without diminishing in it. If you do this, ultimately, it means that whenever you're faced with sin, you'll realize that you don't actually have to sin. To use another analogy, again, by Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, uh, he asks us to imagine two fields, right? With this really high, like, impossible to climb wall in between it. And he, he says that when we come to Christ, okay, so one field is owned by an evil master, the other one's owned by a good one. There's kind of a theme here. So when you come to Christ, it's like Christ picks you up, carries you over that wall that you could have never climbed on your own, right? So now you're in this good field, and then there's this bad field with the evil master. And whenever you walk close to this wall, you'll still be able to hear this master's voice, right? You can hear him telling you to obey him. You can hear him telling you to do all these sorts of things. But you don't have to because you're not on that field. You don't live over there, right? You don't have to do anything he says, right? And if you want to stop being influenced by him, all you have to do is walk away from that wall, right? And the more you walk away from it, the less you're going to hear his voice, the less loud it's going to get, the less you're going to be tempted to want to give in to what he says. Because the fact is, he still has power over you, although he can't actually make you do anything, right? So his strength will diminish. Okay, so, so here's the good news with that analogy, that you don't actually have the power to free yourself from sin. You don't actually have that. You don't actually have the power to get out of your habits of sexual sin or to get out of your habit of lying or or gossiping or being angry with your parents or idolatry or being greedy. You never had the power to pick yourself up over that wall and transfer yourself over. But the good news is that Christ already did that for you. That's what Jesus did. He had the power to do that and he did it for you. So you just need to live as though that's true and you need to receive it. Let's read the last verse. 14. Paul says, For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. Sin shall not be your master. So the question is, are you living as though sin were your master? Are you actually living in the freedom that's true of you? Is your lust, your fear of man, your anger, your greed, your, your desire, your lack of desire to spend time with the Lord, are those things mastering you? Are you giving in to those sins? Because you don't have to. You don't actually have to give in to sin. It can call you all day long. It can beckon you. It can tell you what to do. But you don't have to. Sin's not like the sirens in Greek mythology. You know, the sirens in Greek mythology, they would like sing these beautiful songs and the sailors would like throw themselves at them and drown themselves um, into the sea trying to follow them. Um, Sin's not like that, right? When it calls you, you don't have to tie yourself up to the ship in order to keep yourself from doing it. You don't have to work up the willpower in order to prevent yourself from giving in. You don't have to do anything of that. You just need to remember the truth that it doesn't actually have power over you. You need to surrender yourself to Jesus and what he's already done for you. So I'm going to go ahead and call up the band. Um, But I want to leave you guys with one last quote by John Calvin. John Calvin uh, once said, 
that faith is like an empty open hand stretched out to God with nothing to offer and everything to receive. And that's what our struggle with sin is like too, right? You, you just have your hands open and empty, just ready to receive what Christ has done, knowing that you don't actually have the power to conquer sin, but that it's already been done for you, that you don't have to be a slave to it, that it is not your master, right? So what I want to do now is in our time of worship, um, I would just invite you to have this sort of heart posture that Calvin was talking about, whether you're going to do it with your actual open hands and just tell the Lord that like, you want him, you want his truth to be your reality, or you're just going to do that internally, I would just ask you to have that sort of posture in your heart um, towards him as we uh, lead into this time of worship. Uh, Let me go ahead and pray for us. Lord, um, I thank you that you've set us free, God, that we are not slaves God, that sin and death is not our master, God, but that only you are, Lord. And I thank you that because of Jesus and his birth and his death and his resurrection and his ascension, Lord, that we are safe and secure in you. God, that we're empowered to be free. God, that we are sons and daughters and that we are not slaves. God, I pray that that truth would sink deep into our heart. Lord, and I pray to God just that at this time when we sing, when we worship, Lord, that we'd be able to give over to you the sins that seem to bind us, the sins that seem to have such a tight grip on us, Lord. Help us to surrender those things and actually live in the freedom that you've offered us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.